I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Hello, my name is Demetrius. Jason is not with us today, but you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for coming back, everyone. Today we have a guest that's joining us. She leads AVR Interior Design and has over 15 years of experience in interior design. Please help me welcome Arlene Reams. Arlene, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Hi, Demetrius. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Good. So Arlene, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and um, and AVR. So my name is Arlene. I am the owner and lead designer for AVR Interior Design. And um, it's a labor of love. I've been doing this independently for five years and I've been in the industry for 15. And um, I'm so happy to be here introducing my company and talking to you. So things are going well so far, I take it. Yeah. You know, you take a leap of faith starting a business and to go out on your own and have to hustle, you kind of have to do everything when you're on your own business development, um, as well as designing and drawing and concept. And then you also have to deliver and do construction administration. Like you have to do it all on your own. and it's also way more rewarding, I think, than sitting in an office. Yeah, it doesn't seem as much like work, I think, when you when it's yeah. all you um, and you have sort of a, 
some skin in the game, I guess, in some sense. Um, since all the pressure's on you, it feels, it feels, it's, I think it's more life than work. <laughs> yeah, it does become your life for sure. I think any business owner would tell you that, but, um, a designer or an architect, uh, you don't check out, you know, you're constantly designing in your head, even if you're not sitting at your desk. I totally agree. So Arlene, did you, did you start in a large firm or was it a medium sized, small, um, interior design firm? Um, I've been in both. I, my very start, um, I started in film and retail design and I quickly realized that the film industry wasn't for me. (laughs) And I was like, but I like, I love designing spaces. I love working with space. So I, um, went back to school and went for an interior design program. And out of that, I've worked at large architecture firms, small architecture firms, and also interior design firms. And you learn something from each office because no office runs the same. They're, they're all run a little bit differently. And you, um, particularly being on the architecture side, I think was really helpful because you understand what they're asking of you as, a, as an interior designer. I think you mentioned it a little bit. Um, the The work that you're doing is uh, residential and commercial, right? Yes, um, residential and multifamily mostly. Multifamily, okay. Are you working on anything currently? Like, what's your what do you have going on right now? Right now, um, business recently picked up, and it's mostly residential, mm-hmm. but. There's a couple of multifamily projects on the horizon that I have my eye on, and they're just really early phased. So I don't think they they haven't selected a designer just yet. They're still like in the entitlement phase or something like that. Okay. Is it um, for the residential? Is that uh, sort of remodels, uh, new new ground up? There's a little bit of both. I have two large remodels right now. One project got put on hold and it seems to be coming back. Mm-hmm. And it's a residence in PV in Palos Verdes. Okay. And that's a really big remodel. Um, there's another one in um, in LA, the Mar Vista neighborhood of LA. Mm-hmm. And that's a big remodel with an addition to it. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by big remodel, it means the whole house is being gutted. It's yeah. not just, you know, a room or a bathroom remodel. Yeah. So we've had episodes in the past where we've talked about interior designers. Um, So I wanted to have this opportunity to ask you sort of what interior designers do. And then the second part of that is what's a common misconception about interior designers? It's a big scope. It's pretty much anything on the interior of a building. So it goes from collaborating with the architect on how the architecture is, if you feel that there's something that could be accommodated. Um, I personally try to respect that that role of the architect to what he's designed, unless I see a red flag. Usually when I see a red flag, it's something to do with, they didn't think out the furniture layout and you know the door swing is wrong, something like that. So I definitely dip my toes into that and collaborate with the architect. But 
Um, I would say it's mostly in the realm of finishes, lighting, uh, fixturing, plumbing, and um, overall flow and feel and mood of the house or the project, whatever it may be. It might be a commercial project. Mm -hmm. And the misconceptions that I think a lot of people have is that they think we're decorators. And on the other end of the spectrum, I've been asked to remove architecture and I tell them I'm not qualified to do that, you know, (laughs) or add architecture. And I tell them, you know, I can get you on that process, but that's not really my role. I I don't know if that's a load bearing wall, if, you know, you can move that. Um, And then, like I said, being underestimated and being thought of as just the decorator. People, I think, underestimate how big of an impact space, color, light has on their lives. So they think it can just be fixed with like some, you know, pretty throw pillows when the problem sometimes is a lot bigger. Um, So you get get, um, pigeonholed sometimes on either end of the spectrum, depending on how educated your client is. Yeah. Now we've had, again, we've had the conversation in the past and one of the things that came up was that the interior design industry has people that were told that they are good decorators, um, but they weren't trained in interior design. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a there's different levels of expectation throughout the industry based yeah. on people that may have worked with someone that was just told that they can they have good a good eye for design. Uh, as opposed to someone that was actually trained in it. Do you think that exists or is there is there something yeah. else in the industry? Definitely. And, you know, I think it, there is people out there that have a great eye for design, but being trained to think spatially, I think um, it's an extra tool in your arsenal. Like you can't just think about the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important. And earlier when I was telling you I worked in architecture offices, I think that was very, very helpful in kind of developing my skills. So you mentioned being trained uh, spatially. What, what do you mean by that? Can you expound on that? I think that it starts with your, with your schooling and working on plans, right. And starting to visualize that in 3d. It starts out that way. And then as you go through your career, you start to learn how you could assume that something's going to look one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But through experience, you know, sometimes you have to 3D model it or you have to throw it into an elevation to really understand the scale of things. And I think that comes with experience, with just time doing it multiple, multiple iterations and multiple projects. Is a is the spatial understanding also an element of feeling, emotion, mood of how a space can affect a person? Yeah, I think so because I tried to describe something like a color mm-hmm. and the description that comes to mind is heavy. Hmm. You know? And sometimes people get it and sometimes they don't. But to describe a color or let's say some hardware that has a design to it and you describe it as heavy, even though physically it's not heavy, but it's 
heavy to the eye mm-hmm. or to the mood that you're trying to create. And I think those types of descriptions also uh, change mood when you're in a room. Yeah. Now, going back to our conversation about how you collaborate with the architect, I have to mention you were married to an architect. <laughs> do you think yes. Do you think that has had any effect on how you operate your business and, and how you work through your projects? Yes, it does. Um, he is, uh, you know, the person I go to to say, hey, what do you think of this? Yeah. You think, what challenges do you see here if I do this or if I do that? And it's interesting because when it comes to our house or our projects, that's where we butt heads more because <laughs> we both have ideas of what we want to do. And <clears throat> it's also funny because we know the possibilities. So it's hard to make a decision in the first place. Um, it's, it's just really funny to have two designers in, in one relationship. <laughs> yeah. And, and you hinted at it. Um, you guys are working on a... Is it ground up and you have a desert house that you guys are working on, right? Yes, we bought two and a half acres in Joshua Tree and we're building ground up. I mean, we're not even, we don't even have utilities. We're bringing that in. Yeah, it's completely raw land, right? Yeah, exactly. I remember our realtor in Joshua Tree was like, you're just buying dirt. (laughs) All I sell is dirt. (laughs) I'm like, okay, that's a good way of looking at it. That's funny. Was that stressful? Or, I mean, you're still going through it, but just pulling the trigger even initially, was that stressful? Let's see. It wasn't a hard decision. The land is not expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, it was 15000 at the time. That was in 2016, I believe. So that wasn't stressful. The stressful part was, you know, packing multiple lunches <laughs> and trekking through the desert. Uh, we got chased off of one property by a neighbor and we were on the property that was being for sale, not on his, <laughs> but people, it's just interesting. So it's, it's, <laughs> so it's, um, it's really far in, like you, you have to make a trip to get like, yeah. So we did that a few times, you know, before we found the property we liked because we're stargazers and that's, what started the whole thing is we went out there and we were stargazing. We have a telescope and that's kind of what inspired it all. So we wanted to be able to be far enough outside of the city to where we have dark skies, but be able to bring in some utilities at least. So I think we're going to have a well or not a well, a a septic, but we have electricity and we have water on the city grid. Okay. How far along are you guys with that? We just had the land surveyed um, and we're still in the design process. Okay. Yeah. And you guys are working through that design together, right? Yes, we are. It's been redesigned a few times. (laughs) (laughs) I think we have a winner this time though. Who's winning the battles on the design battles or is it (laughs) 50-50? Um, I think right now it's in Lucas's realm because we're still designing the architecture. Okay. Um, but I really like where it's going. Uh, I, I really do love what he's, what he's envisioned. And um, it, there's a beautiful vista that we're taking advantage of. So I'm excited. I'm excited to do the interior 
to something that I think is going to be a beautiful house. Yeah. Did you guys come up with a name for, for the house, the project? So we do have a name for it. It's called the Spaceman House. We don't know if it'll stick, but uh, that's what we've called it since the beginning because of our hobby. Uh, and we might even do a mural on the exterior of a big Spaceman. That's an idea. Okay. So with the design, you, you guys have the basic concept there, it sounds like. So you haven't gotten into to really put your, your imprint on the interior just yet? Um, a little bit of space planning, okay. but um, because we just recently decided on the floor plan, the interior design is, is taking off now. Okay. But um, there is, like I said, it's good to work with an architect because you can mold the space and have it make sense in, for the interior design, you know, uh, because one of the um, important features is that from the kitchen, you can see clear through the living room and to the mountains mm -hmm. through a big uh, window. And <clears throat> I thought it was really important that you could see that from the kitchen where you're going to be preparing food because that's where you spend so much time, especially if you're entertaining in the kitchen. Yeah. Interior designers rarely get in from the ground up of a design, right? Yeah, it's pretty rare. We usually get hired on a little bit farther into the uh, the design process, usually at least schematic, I would say, for um, for the architecture phase of schematic. Yeah. Has it been more exciting, I guess, uh, for you to have to be able to put your imprint in so early? Do you, have you noticed a difference rather than having to come in later and sort of deal with what's there? Oh, definitely. You can mold your design and that can mold the building. It's kind of a symbiosis, right? So the design is, the architecture is molding the interior, but because I'm in so early on, the interior is also molding the architecture. Yeah. Because of little details, like I said, I want to be able to see the mountains from my kitchen. Yeah. Has there been any sort of design influence that you guys are trying to use to, to come up with your design? It was, it was an architect in Arizona that used a lot of rammed earth type of mm. architecture. Um, even though the, the house isn't in Arizona, we were looking at a lot of different types of desert architecture and trying to be sustainable and work with the climate you know, in our placement of windows and material selection for the exterior. So we were looking at a few architects. I think Will Bruder was one of them. Uh, are you guys, do you have a blog or anything that you're sort of updating with this process? Yes, we do. I, I'm going to send you that so you could um, attach it to this. It's yeah. spaceman.house. Okay. Spaceman.house. Yeah. Okay. And then last thing is, uh, if anyone wants to follow along with you on social media or AVR, how can people reach, reach out to you and follow along? So my website is avrinteriordesign.com and I'm on Instagram under avrinteriordesign also. And LinkedIn is Arlene Reams and Facebook is avrinteriordesign. Great. And then spaceman.house. 
again? Yes, that's the blog for the Desert House. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you so much, Arlene. Really appreciate it. Uh, and then for our listeners, we'll talk again on Tuesday. <laughs> Thank you, Demetrius. Thank you. This show is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star rating and a review on your preferred podcasting app. It helps others find us, and your support is the only way that this show grows. And don't forget to connect with us through our Facebook community, Instagram, and see the random thoughts and articles that we share on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you again for spending some time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.